Well, hey, Northside family, my name is Jim, and I'm going to continue with that theme of calling and fishing. I love that video. I love the Watsons. I love their commitment to follow a calling, even when it doesn't quite make sense. It's not quite conventional. And I love the opportunity to talk about fishing, because this is my jam. Sorry back there. That was really closer than I thought. Okay, we're going to work on that. We're going to dial this in a little bit. But I'll tell you what, I, I love that they would be called to do something unconventional. And by the way, most of the time that's what happens with a calling. It's unconventional. <laughs> you do something that you're just not quite sure you're up for and you depend on the God, uh, God very desperately because that's exactly where he wants us. Now, in my case, nothing like hitting an elder on your second, third cast. That was awesome. Sorry, Tim. In my case, uh, I've got this calling, I joke about it, it's tongue in cheek, but I've got this calling to go to Ontario. And there's a lake in Ontario that I've been to probably 10 times in the last 15 years and I know exactly what the sound is when the waves hit that aluminum boat and I know where to go when the wind is blowing from the east or from the west and I know these bays where there are just massive 45 inch northern pike just waiting to be devoured, right, right? This is what I love to do, and my family knows it. In fact, I've got a song that I, uh, I play on a regular basis when I start driving north, and it's called Somewhere North of Here, and that's a good metaphor for me. Someday I'm going somewhere north of here. I just love being up north. Nate did a great job of selling me on north side. I, we never thought about the fact that it was actually called north side, but we did talk about how New Albany is the northernmost part of the south. I was like, all right, that sounds good. Love it. Love it. By the way, Julie, are you here? My wife, I think I got one in me for the upper balcony. You're right, that's a good choice. All right, we'll leave that alone for now. But we get excited. I tell you this because if I'm on that lake and I've got my gear and I know what's going on, I'm just thrilled and I feel like I can fish fairly well. I know how to catch a certain fish a certain way. It's great for me. And if somebody were to come to me, even the lodge owner, and be like, hey, I've been watching and... Uh, you're not very good at this. I'd, I'd be offended. I'd be like, hey, I've been coming here a long time. I know what I'm doing. And if somebody came to me that had no idea about fishing and started telling me what to do, I'd probably puff up my chest a little bit, get a little bit arrogant and be like, hey, I think I know what I'm doing here. I say that to say we're going to be spending some time talking about the disciples in Luke chapter 5. We'll be looking at the ESV if that matters to you, but we're going to be looking at how they had this scenario where they're on one lake their whole life. The Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, and they're there their whole life, and they know what they're doing. They don't do it as a hobby. They do it for a living, and they're fishing. And somebody calls from the shore and challenges them about how they're fishing. You know the story, right? It's an incredible story, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but we're talking about calling. We're talking about moving from that, that realm of comfort and preference to calling and purpose. And I'd love to hang out on lakes an awful lot more than I do, but I recognize that that's really not God's call on my life. It's a place I escape to, it's a place I rest, but it's not my call. So we get to Luke chapter 5, verses, 11, oh, five, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to be talking about this in quite a bit because I think these guys on the surface would be offended they know what they're doing. This is their livelihood. They pay their bills by fishing this particular lake. They probably talk with other fishermen, and when they had to talk about what their catch was, you can imagine the, the body language would change, you know. How was the catch today? It was fantastic. Let me tell you all about it. 
How was the fishing today? The weather was nice. You know, how does that work? And, and so I want us to read this with this idea that Jesus is going to get a hold of their heart. And he's going to get a hold of their attention on their terms where they think they're at their very best. And he's going to demonstrate that he's Lord overall. And before I read the text, I want to just say this one phrase, and I'll say it in a variety of ways during this message. Everybody in this room wants to know God's will. Everybody. But in order to know God's will, we need to know God's ways. And in order to know God's ways, we need to know God's word. And the truth is, there really aren't very many shortcuts by his design. So let's go ahead and look at verses 1 through 5 of Luke chapter 5. And listen for the word piece, because we're going to talk about knowing God's word first. Listen for the language here that should jump out at you. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, by the way, he didn't ask. That's an interesting story too. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. At your word. If we want to really grasp God's will today, we really need to start with understanding his word. Do you understand it? Have you invested time into pursuing God's word and locking it in your head and in your heart? When he calls him master here, this is not maybe the elite title that you're thinking about. Master here, it might be commander, it might be boss. It would be something where, you know, you've got a little bit of a leadership instinct in you, you've got a bit of a title, but it's not Lord. And so he says, master, we've been doing this all night. Nothing. The other fishermen are laughing at us. Ah, but at your word, at your word, we'll do this. And later we'll talk about how we move from master to Lord because he does. In this very short section, we move from master to Lord, but not yet. I love how our church is singing this song, Take You at Your Word, recently. And we've, we've kind of adopted that as one of these uh, battle cries for us because we understand that the world is a noisy place. And there's all kinds of things being barked at us. There are called all kinds of ideas, all kinds of creeds and concepts, but we as a body of Christ, say, we're going to take you at your word. We're going to believe what you're saying. We're going to lock it in our heads and in our hearts, and some to a greater degree than others, but that is our cry, that we can do this and do this well. I was at a retreat one time, probably 10 years ago, and it was just with some uh, kind of the executive level staff of our church, and the lead guy wisely got us together for probably a five-day event and said, here's the deal. I've never been able to do this before, probably never do it again, but turn in your Bibles. And, okay, so we turn in our Bibles. He's like, great, we're not going to need those for this week. And I'm thinking, wait a second, <laughs> this, is a, this is a bunch of pastors here. Surely we're going to be in the Word. His next statement was to say, here's what we're going to do. Here's blank pieces of paper and a pen. I want you to go away for a half hour, just you and the Lord. No cheating. And I want you to write down every passage you can think of over the next 30 minutes. When we come back together, we'll talk about that. You guys ever have a pop quiz that really stresses you out? <laughs> in front of your peers? 
And I'm like, oh man, here we go. And so I'm, I'm writing the easy ones first. I got John 3.16 and then I start getting paranoid. Wait, is that NIV? Is that ESV? What, what translation? Am I doing this right? Am I forgetting something? Oh, okay, write that down. And then I'm in Proverbs for a little bit over here. And I, I remember that one thing in Revelation that was kind of weird, but I wrote it down anyway. And pretty soon I'm back in Proverbs and I'm over in Philippians. And for some reason I've got this thing from 2 Samuel in my head. And so I, I'm feeling pretty good about life, but even that's wrong. Really, it's not a competition. But I was writing things down, and I got done, and I came in at the end of 30 minutes, and I was kind of nervous looking at everyone else's papers that they're turning in. You know, how do we compare? But the point wasn't to compare left to right. The point was, let me take these together, and we're going to photocopy these, and this is your Bible for the week. And the reason this is your Bible for the week is you're not always carrying this thing here, but you should be carrying it here and here. And if we want to understand God's will, we've got to start by understanding God's word. We've got to know that. It's a good exercise. It, it kind of woke me up. It exposed some things that I really loved. I didn't know I loved Philippians so much. It exposed some things I was blissfully ignorant about. Couldn't quote you Leviticus anything. But it was a good experience. Now, on the other extreme, and I know that's an extreme, on the other extreme, last Thursday night we were at dinner and we were talking about our highs we're talking about our lows of the day, and uh, our little eight-year-old Kenna shared something, and she didn't realize I was going to be proclaiming this in front of thousands, but she was saying that her high was when she got to school a little bit early, she was hanging out with her buddy Landon, and Landon doesn't know the Bible, doesn't go to church, doesn't have a Bible, doesn't really know much about Jesus at all. I said, so what'd you do? And this was her high. She's like, well, I got to tell stories. And I told three stories about how God works and who he is. I'm like, well, tell me the stories. And she did a pretty good job. I didn't want to edit too much as she was going, but she, she was doing great. And I'm thinking, I praise God for the kids' ministry here because they are investing into her in ways that I haven't yet, or maybe I've done it differently, but stuff's starting to leak out of her because she's got it locked in her head and in her heart. Church, if you want to know God's will, you've got to start with God's word. We start there. And then we take him at his word. So here's word language that's all over this, and Jesus is talking to them and speaking, and at your word, we'll go ahead and we'll do this. And let me just say this before I move on to the next point. A lot of us have this idea that we're going to be more successful when there's more in the 401k, more, success, more successful when we climb that ladder one notch higher, more successful when we have more followers. You never get more successful than simple obedience to God's word. Never. We'll circle back to that later, but you never, you never exceed that. If you want success, we obey God's word. It's that simple. Moving on to the next thing. So we want to understand God's word, but we also want to understand God's ways. We start with his word and we move to his ways. And uh, this is interesting because as he is walking into this boat, and it appears from the text that he never asked for permission... And as he starts to say some things and they give him the title of master and they're starting to have a posture of, at your word, we'll do this, they already understood some of his ways. This is very early in the ministry of Jesus. But they already understood some of his ways because we know that he'd already healed Simon Peter's mother from a dangerous fever. It was in the previous chapter. He'd already been to Simon Peter's house. Mother-in-law's not well. Jesus came in and healed if they were paying attention, and I'm very confident they were paying attention, they would also know that this is the same guy who has the ways of stepping into a, a wedding party. First of all, he was invited to a wedding party. That, that says something about who he is. 
But also that while he was there, he turned water into, thank you for paying attention. Okay, so he's turned water into wine. We're learning something about his ways. We know this is the same guy who cast demons out of a demoniac, and the word is spreading. They know something about his ways. They're starting to figure this out. And look what happens here in verses 6 through 10. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Mark Moore says that signaling was probably like, come on, help me out. Come over and help. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. There's ways of stuff happening here. There's action happening here, and they're starting to recognize something. They're astonished because nobody catches fish like that, and they do it for a living. That's their lake. Nobody does it like that. But Jesus does. Nobody casts demons out. But Jesus does. Nobody can, at his word, remove a fever. But Jesus does. And they're starting to see something here, and they're starting to say, there's something unique about this guy, and they move from master to Lord. Look what happens. In verse 5, Simon calls Jesus master. But later in verse 8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And I have fun with this part of the text because there's something going on here, and this might happen in marriage, maybe mine sometimes, maybe, maybe yours. But there's this mixed emotion. There's the, I'm running to Jesus and falling at his knees, sounds kind of clumsy, at the same time saying, depart from me. Well, which one is it? How does this work? But there's something going on where he's a, he's a wreck and he's saying, I've got to grow closer to you, but depart from me because I'm a mess and I understand who you are. I'm seeing your ways. You're something special. I've never seen anything like this. And something happens here where we start to see more of Jesus' ways because Jesus draws near to the mess rather than running from it. If you're a Pharisee, if you're a religious leader of that time and somebody unclean comes to you, you back away because you don't want to be defiled. And Jesus comes near to our mess. Isn't that amazing? Our life group's been talking about this quite a bit lately, this idea that Jesus is not repelled by our sin. He's drawn to it. He's a cleansing agent. This is his job. This is his call. He doesn't run from it. This is why he came. And if you're like me, and I'll bet most of you are, when we have our, our stubborn sin problem, when we have that one thing that trips us up, our posture is to say, ah, I know, just give me a minute to get myself right. Let me start to behave better. And when I'm, when I'm better, then I'll come back to you, Jesus, and I'll present the polished version of me. But that's not what Jesus wants. When we're at our worst is when he wants to come right in. I see heads nodding. This, this is his way. And when we understand his word and we see what he's done, we begin to understand this is what he desires for us. So here's Peter. Depart from me, Jesus, but I'm going to fall right here at your knees. And I'm going to call you Lord because now I understand. It's pretty incredible stuff. When we train ourselves to know God's ways, we're one step closer to knowing God's will. That's why we sing that song, Same God, and we'll close with this, this idea that we can say, we're calling on the God of Jacob. We're calling on the God of, of Mary and 
David. We're, we're calling on this God because the ways that you have worked throughout history are the ways that you want to work today and even in my life. And we're going to take you at that. That's our song. That's the encouragement today, that we would stockpile the ways. Do you know his ways? For your family? For you? Do you know his ways in such a way that you'll journal those things and pay attention and listen for those ways to come up again when those opportunities come to do his will? Let's talk about his will. Knowing his will. This is just two verses here, verses 10 and 11. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed. Knowing immediately transitioned into doing. They'd seen his word and understood it. They'd seen his ways and understood it. And he's declaring his will for them, and they drop everything. I love it. I've said this in a couple environments. Some of you have heard this, but one of my favorite things about my son-in-law, Caleb, is when we were talking about him wanting to take my daughter's hand in marriage, he had asked me some fantastic questions because he wanted to know her better and see her through my eyes. Well done, Caleb. I turned the corner and said, okay, before we end this conversation, I've got two questions for you. And one of those questions was, at the highest level, what does success look like for you? Because I want to understand what your North Star is. I want to understand where you're going if you're taking her with you. And he said it probably better than I'll rephrase it here, but he said, I, I desire to hear God's voice better tomorrow than I do today and to obey faster. And I said at the wedding, at that moment, I was going, play it cool, Jim, play it cool. <laughs> yeah, I think you can have her hand in marriage. I wanted to say, marry her right now before you change your mind. Let's do this. I'm a pastor. We can do this now. Guys, that's a home run answer, and it's the home run answer for you. We hear his voice better. We'd be quick to obey, to do, because we want to do his will. Mark Moore says it really, really well in the text that you'll be reading this week. Some of us are going to give up our occupation to follow his will. We just are. By the way, we have school and ministry starting up relatively soon. We're starting to take applications for that. About 40 people are interested in school and ministry because they're saying, it might be time to give up my occupation to do something different. And most of those people are second career people. How cool is that? In this church, people are going, I think I'm interested in exploring this. Some of us are being called to give up our occupation. Some of us, many of us, are called to give over our occupation. Give it over. You know, one of our, our friends here, Cameron, he reached out on social media and just said, guys, I've been a teacher for a long time and I felt nudged by the Spirit to, to be more bold in my faith and I finally got around to putting out an email to all of the teachers, all of my coworkers, and I said, I'm gonna start a Bible study. Will anyone join me? And 20 people have responded so far. Isn't that awesome? So proud of him. This is an example of giving over your occupation to say, I'll stay where I'm planted, but... I've got to step out and do what God's nudging me to do. There's another gentleman in this congregation that about a year ago called me up and said, I need prayer. Let's talk. Can I come over? I was like, oh boy, what do we got? He came over and he said, so I was in the service and Nate was preaching and he was talking about how we got to, you know, use our leadership in different places, not just when we're here at church. And so I did. And I got involved with our uh, homeowners association and it's a nightmare. It's a mess. 
I mean, over my head, pray. Okay, we'll pray. So glad he's stepping up. He's giving over his occupation saying, how else can I reach out? How else can I lead? So many of you are doing the same things. Some of you are disciples of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised at -at stay-at-home parents. And your job is to give it over and invest into the next generation missionaries and disciples of Jesus Christ that will reach a generation you'll never see. How awesome is that? What are you giving over if you're staying in your occupation? And yet, so many of us make this mistake. We understood that we were called. We've heard God's word. We got to know his ways, and somehow there's a slow fade, and we've gone back to doing the same old, same old. (laughs) I just made you squeak a little, didn't I? (laughs) And we go right back to what we've been doing. And there's something fantastic here that the Lord does. I love, I love, I love his ways because about three years later on that same lake with many of those same people, they were out fishing. It's recorded in John chapter 21. And there what we see is they've had a long night of fishing and they caught nothing again. And they get toward the shore and it's now sunrise and they are going through the same emotions that they had three years earlier. And there's somebody on the shore that asks them to call out and put out on the far side of the boat again. And they still don't know what's going on. This is post-resurrection, but they're still thinking crucifixion. And they put out, and there's a record catch, over 150 fish. The nets aren't breaking, and things are crazy, and they need help. And John says, it's the Lord. And the next thing you hear is a splash, because Peter is literally overboard and swimming to shore. He can't wait to get there. And the one that had one time said, depart from me, depart from me. I'm a sinner. This time is swimming right to him and saying, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And right there they have this great reinstatement, and you might know the story. There's a charcoal fire there. The only other time there's a charcoal fire is when Jesus denied Peter, or when Peter denied Jesus, there was a charcoal fire he was warming around. Peter and Jesus run another charcoal fire, and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And what he was doing is saying, get back in the game. You know what you were called to, and it wasn't about fishing for fish. Come back into the game. Some of us know our call and just haven't gotten around to it yet. Some of us have done it and thrived. Some of us have gone back to the old ways, but I want to just remind us one more time that we're in a situation where we all want to know God's will. And in order to know God's will, we need to know his word and then his ways. And then we discover his will. And it's not supposed to be easy. There are no shortcuts. Henry and Richard Blackaby say it this way, and I think it's fantastic. They say it this way. There are no small assignments if those assignments are coming from God. The Bible says it this way. If you're faithful in little, (coughs) you'll be entrusted to be faithful in much. We're calling you guys, we're calling every one of us, myself included, to step up and be obedient in that way, to join him 
on mission. In a second, we're going to have Nate and the elders come up for a quick announcement that aligns with this. But for right now, I want to make sure that we have time to soak this up. Would you pray with me? Father, there's a lot to cover here today. And if we're honest, we don't know your word as well as we'd like to. If we're as honest as we can be, we don't always know your ways or recognize them. And we grasp for your will and hope it's easy. But Father, today, would you find us to be the kind of people that would strive after you? No shortcuts, no excuses. Passionately pursuing you, hearing your voice, and quicker to obey today than we were yesterday. Father, have your way with each and every one of us. Have your way with this beautiful church we call Northside. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen.